This is Gil Manser, welcoming you to April's Word-by-Word Conversations with Writers Show on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are from the upcoming Redwood Writers Conference entitled From Pen to Published, which will be held at the Santa Rosa Flamingo Hotel on Saturday, April 23rd. The conference co-chairs, William Hagwood and Robbie Summers Bryant, are here today, along with one of the writer-presenters at the conference, Fran Claggett. Bill, Robbie, and Fran, I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you. Thanks, it's good Bill. to be here. Yeah. Now, I understand that, Bill, you drew the, the cut the deck, so to speak, <laughs> the tarot deck, shall we say, and that you get to share an overview of this year's conference to the listeners. Yeah, thank you, Gil. The, um, uh, the Pen to Published conference that's put on by the Redwood Writers Club is a biannual uh, event, and um, writing is a notably solitary pursuit. And what a writer's conference can do is give writers a tremendous opportunity to explore their craft, to uh, understand more what it is that they're doing with their genre, to speak with other writers, uh, to encounter editors and and others in the field who can be helpful to them, to learn more about the critical and uh, sometimes for many writers unwelcome needs of of publishing and marketing, which is an important part of, of, of being a writer. And, and this year, we, we have a particularly good conference. Uh, we have two very good uh, speakers. One, uh, our keynote speaker, Dorothy Allison, is uh, a well-known author. She wrote Bastard Out of Cali- uh, Carolina, uh, a finalist for the 1992 National Book Award. And uh, her second novel, Cave Dweller, was named uh, a New York Times notable book for 19. 19- 98, and she'll be giving our keynote address in, in the morning. At lunch, we'll hear from Albert Flynn de Silver, uh, a poet and uh, Marin County's first uh, poet laureate, as it turns out, who will be talking about ways uh, writers can write well and also also live well. Uh, the conference is, is noteworthy because we do break it off into four different areas, four different tracks that writers can sign up for with uh, classes and uh, workshops in all of those areas. One is craft, the the area of craft, editing, uh, writing, uh, style, uh, grammar, all of those kinds of nuts and bolts features of, of writing and, and producing good writing. And genre, which of course refers to different um, D- different different genres of, of writing, mystery, of, uh, science fiction, uh, literary fiction. Uh, uh, we've got a new one called Steampunk now that uh, we've even had a contest in the uh, club for. Uh, we also have publishing. We, we talk a lot. We have people who will be dra- addressing uh, the, the challenges of pub- publishing, creating an author platform, branding and, and um, monetization of your products, as well as marketing. How do you how do you get yourself known as a writer? And we also have a pitch fest, and I think I might ask Robbie to talk a little bit about what it is that we're doing uh, from that perspective. Hi. Um, yes, we're having a pitch fest, and what's involved in that is before the fist, the pitch fest, um, we have an agent who's going to be teaching a class on how to pitch. So you'll get all the different. Uh, tips and and ideas on how to approach an agent. Then the pitch fest is made up of 
three different agents who you get in line and you pitch your book. So you have five minutes to sit in front of an agent and you have the ability to sit in front of all three agents. We have managed to have time for that. And there's a chance where they'll ask to see your manuscript or they'll want you to stay in touch with them. So it's a really great way to meet agents. So this is the time for your elevator speech, as they call it. That's right. Right. The the 25 words or less summary of what you want to do with your magnum opus. That's exactly exactly right. And what's going to happen at this conference, almost guaranteed, and it's part of the small print on the ticket, is that they will anoint you and you will have uh, Meryl Streep play the main character or whatever. Who else you pick? That's what I'm thinking for my book. Now, I don't know about the other people. <laughs> Right. Well, we that we always that writers always kind of think maybe in the back. We used to think we wanted to be on Oprah, but that's not it anymore. Well, so. no, I would do Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So basically, we know that um, Fran, you're going to be doing a presentation mm-hmm. during the one. Which section? Which section of the four are you in? That's a good question. What about your genre? Genre. 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 Okay. Well, that's no. That's a good. That's right. Very something important to know. So tell us a little bit about your presentation and, and what you do and how you write. Okay. Before I do that, I want to make, make one announcement, and that is the Redwood Writers Poetry Anthology is going to be launched on the day of the conference. We're Great. very excited about Great. that. So that will be happening, and uh, some of the writers will be reading their poems. And there will be a lot of poetry readings around Sonoma County, various venues. So look for those and come and hear the Redwood Writers' poems. Uh, I speak of poetry because my memoirs are almost all poems. (laughs) It's, It's a genre that sort of moves from one to the other. But what I'm going to be doing in the presentation for Redwood Writers is a full workshop on how to approach the genre of memoir. Everything we remember is just for the memoir. And many people write memoirs for family occasions. Some write for themselves. Some write to be published. But they take many different forms. And they have to do with family stories, places they have lived, portraits of people, dreams, turning points, major passion, political leanings, work, values, beliefs, all of those things can be part of one's memoir. And what I will be doing for the workshop is having everybody construct a lifeline. And the lifeline will have to do with places they have lived, events that have happened, people that have been important in their life. And it has to do with the self concept, how one perceives oneself through one's life. And then we sh- I can show people how to take this lifeline and put intersections so they will have an immediate storyline. And that's going to be the focus of how I work it. Good. When I read the title, Lifelines, I immediately thought of a different kind of lifeline, you know, like the one you throw out from a ship to someone in the water. Right. And and it has that aspect as well. It does. It does. Because memoir is a, a very evocative Kind of Memoir can be a lifeline. I have found it to be a lifeline in my own life because I lost my partner two years ago. And I have written memoir chunks as a way of dealing with my own loss. And mm-hmm. I will encourage people to use it in many different ways. But that certainly is one of them. It can be a lifeline. There's a, a 
an on-site, um, I don't know what to call it, a, a place where people can write their own memoirs that have to do with how they are handling loss through writing. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly one aspect. It's not the only one. We write happy memoirs, too. But uh, it certainly is a major one. Now, you do yours, you said, in poet, poet, poetry, poem form? What do we call that? What do we call Poetic it? form? What, I'm trying to think of what word we use. Poetry. Poetry. <laughs> okay. Just poems. Just poems. Just All poems. Right. So... Free verse? Uh, do you do you follow formulas? Yeah, I can think of so many different types of poem formulas. Mostly, I write free verse, but lately I've been fascinated by the tanka form, the Japanese tanka. Ah. It's becoming a very popular form. It's it's only five lines. It's quick, and uh, I've done some t- some helping other people learn to write tanka too since I've been learning it, and it's a wonderful form. I'm currently working on a collection of tankas, each one tied to a photograph. Mm. And that's you know, there are a lot of ways to play with all of these various forms. Most of my poetry, however, in my book, my latest book is called Crow Crossings, and it's mostly, mostly free verse. There's some prose poems, but most of it is free verse. Free verse. Now, would you say that memoir, unlike the other genres that are in the the conference is can be written just for yourself. Yes. Yes. It can be. Most I find I've been teaching a lot of memoir classes at SSU's mm-hmm. lifelong learning and most of the people there of course are 50 or better in age and many of them are 70 and 80 is in their 80s as I am and um most of them are really writing for their families. They ah. want books for their children, books for... There's one man now who says, will you help me? I want to write a book for each of my grandchildren, and he has eight. Ah. <laughs> he wow. already has one of them finished, Stories for Oliver. And so people do write for their their families. Um, and some of them write out of their own family experience. There's one now that is an absolutely incredible memoir that I have read. That's going to be part of the new Redwood Writers anthology, not the poetry one. But but we're working now on selecting the memoirs, poems, and short stories for that book. And there, I just read one that just knocked me out about growing up in, in the most poverty-stricken area of China hmm. that you can imagine. And how this woman survived that childhood and got to this country is amazing. So there are wonderful stories. A real lifeline story. Real real stories. Yes. Now, I'm going to have you read a few of your poems a little bit later in the show. So think about which ones you'd like to uh, share with us. Okay. We have another uh, workshop session leader here because uh, Robbie is doing one called Your First Page. Yes, that's correct. Uh, My class is a class where you can first send me a copy of your first page of a novel, a nonfiction, whatever you're writing, and you get a free edit of that page, and you get that back uh, at the class or maybe the day before. And then during the presentation, we'll be studying what the elements are of a good first page, because the first page and the first line of your story is what's going to either make you or break you as far as an agent is concerned. If they don't like that front page, if they're not hooked in, that's it for you. You go in the garbage can. So this class will be teaching those different elements, and then there'll be time for people to 
practice writing a good hook sentence, the first <laughs> sentence of the right. book, and how to write a good first page. Okay, now let's contrast the hook sentence to a topic sentence, which you do for a nonfiction. Well, you still want to you still want to present a hook, which that makes means someone read further, complete, can yes. go on. Yes, and actually. That's how your first sentence should be, and the last sentence of your paragraph should have a hook to it, so you want to read the next paragraph. Right. And then the chapter should be like that. The page should be like that. Do you do a lot of editing? Yes, that's what I do. Besides writing, I'm an editor. I do comprehensive editing for other writers. It's because I read a lot of things for contests, and what I find often is the last paragraph should be the first. It's oh, like they, that's by the time they get there, they know what they wanted to say. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. So, just a thought. So, here's a piece of information. Take your last paragraph and try that out as your first and see how it works. Okay. So, what else should we talk about? We've got all kinds of things going on. Those are the what we call, are those the breakout sessions we're we're talking about now. Well, yes, and I'd like to just announce a couple of the other speakers that sure. are going to be there. Sure. Um, Fran, who is just spoke to you, is a top quality teacher, professor, and she's one of our spe- our presenters. And then we have Josh Moore. He also teaches in San Francisco at the college there. And he has a Master in Fine Arts, and he's really, really a great instructor. We have the Pitch Fest, which I mentioned. We have um, C.S. Lakin, who is going to be talking about the 12 Pillars of building a novel. And so for novel writers, that's a great class to be in. Um, so we have something for everybody in, like Bill said, genre and um, uh, craft and publishing and marketing. So there's something for wherever you are in your writing process. If you're working on the craft, we've got some, we have four different choices for that. Genre, the same thing. And uh, it's this conference is for newbies, and it's also for people that are very experienced writers, which we do have many in Redwood Writers. Right. So, well, if, if yes, I could go. say something uh, about uh, the, the conference in, in light of the, uh, the new world we're living in as writers, which is a world where we have a lot of potential for self-publishing, more potential than we've ever had. Writers uh, who for a long time self-published, in fact, that was usually how writers got published. They published a book themselves and distributed it, are now in that situation again, thanks to a variety of, of companies that make that, that possible. And so what's, what is even more possible is to, is to tailor an audience to uh, almost idiosyncratically tune your, your audience uh, to, the, um, to the kind of writing you want to do. Uh, to seek out and create uh, relationships with, with, with other writers through books that, that have a, a perhaps even a limited circulation. Fran was mentioning uh, uh, writers who like to who have a, a, an ambition of writing for families. And sometimes uh, it's a successful writing experience is being able to produce a book that is distributed essentially to your family and kept by them as a, as a, as a keepsake. But uh, self-publishing has really opened doors to writers in ways that um, just have not been possible in the past and uh, creating many opportunities for lots of genres to flourish in in ways that that we haven't seen up till now. Mm -hmm. But the agents who are there are looking for ones to be picked up by publishing houses. Is that right? Yes. Well, they represent you, and they have the connection to the bigger houses in New York, uh, San Francisco, L.A., so it gets in front of 
more people people that have a good sense of what the publisher is looking for, and you get a kind of a pipeline into that company. Right. Now, Bill, you mentioned the four sections that that you've kind of divided this up into craft, et cetera. And should is someone sign up for the conference? Do they have to sign up for the workshops in advance, or how do you do that? We're, yes, they do. The, the, the short answer is yes. They'll sign up for workshops in advance, which isn't to say they can't change those. Uh, we're, 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 <laughs> that happens at times. You're trying to guess the number of seats but, in the room, yes, right? But we yes, but need to, we need to know who's who's going where right. when the conference begins. And uh, it is true. If I could just share with you some of the uh, some of the titles of some of our our uh, breakout sessions, right. I think they would help. Um, describe some of the scope of, uh, rather the large scope of our, our, sure. our conference. Uh, in our marketing area, we have a workshop on contracts and copyrights. Uh, we have uh, uh, a presentation on building websites and creating websites for yourself. Uh, Francis Caballo is going to produce, uh, talk about social media in 30 minutes a day. Just 30, I know a lot of us are not comfortable as writers working in social media because we think it's a time laborious and time consuming. Yeah, she, she's written a book. And she's written a book that, yeah, that called shows Avoid you, the Social Media Time Suck. Avoid, yes. uh, yeah, avoid the time suck and spend 30 minutes a day moving and, and advancing your, your writing career. Uh, how to be a bookstore savvy author. Uh, how did, we how have did, someone from Copperfields who's going to be talking about that, I think right? so, yeah. yes. And uh, in publishing, we've got Joel Friedlander, who's well-known around creating author platforms, branding. Uh, we have um, how to make your Kindle book a bestseller. Kindle books are, are, are turning out to be a wonderful way to, to move your, your writing, uh, inexpensive to the reader and uh, uh, easily distributed. Now, that's basically for those who don't know. It's someone. It's one you read on a little right. electronic – you read on yeah. an iPad, iPad or, or, or something your like computer that. even, because it'll PDF of work. Yeah. Right. Uh, in genre, literary fiction, what the heck is it? That's that's one workshop that we have. Yeah, that's we had a, a discussion question. about that with Jesse this morning. I mean, this afternoon. So, <laughs> what is, what is this? Fiction? I read. <laughs> he says yes. The art of poetry for prose writers. Albert De Silva, our lunch speaker, lunch time speaker, is going to be giving that workshop. Uh, uh, as um, Robbie mentioned, uh, C.S. Lakin's uh, workshop on building a solid novel, The Twelve Pillars of Novel Construction. Uh, I'm going to mention a couple here, too, because sure. we've got a couple of uh, word-by-word alum, meaning that they've been on the show. We've got David Corbett, who's doing one called Making the Past Present, Embedding Backstory and Behaviors. Mm-hmm. Well, now, he's, of course, a former private eye in San Francisco. Right. So he had he he didn't didn't know know that? that. Oh well he's also written of course the guide to the art of character. So he always is thinking about, well what do I need? How do I uncover, you know, something about this person that you didn't know on your first page? And how do you bring that in? And then we have Amanda McTighe who's who's going to Solace, which is a fabulous novel. And she's talking about literary fiction, what the heck is it? Which is you know, the big question around the room here today, because we can't quite... One of the things that happens is if you look at the back of a book, for instance, I've got Anna Quinlan's Miller's Valley, which is her newest novel. And on the back, when you pick it up, it tells the bookstore where to place it in, I'm saying, is it, where is it? Literary fiction. (laughs) Okay. So that's how she has defined it, or her publisher has defined it. She's going to be here, our guest next month, so be sure to tune in for that. And... um, as you pick up other books, I'm trying to think of one. How about Dream? Does that have the breakout of what, how to place it on the shelf? No, not necessarily. Um, I don't know. 
know. Let's see. Yeah. I don't know if the power. Well, anyway, that's the secret. If you go to a, one of the things I always suggest is people go to the library or at the bookstore and take books that you know and like off the shelf and see what genre they fall under. Right. An excellent idea. Uh, okay. And uh, we may be inventing new genres as 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 we go along. Yeah, um, I'm not sure steampunk is a genre as just a passing fancy. Well, so. we don't know. We're doing a contest this year. The club has, uh, by popular demand, created a steampunk writing contest. Uh-huh. When does that start? That has, it's underway, isn't it, Robbie? I'm not, I'm uh, no, I think we launch it in April, April. Oh, okay. or okay. May, one of those Sometime two months. upcoming. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are coming in steampunk costumes, so that'll be fun. Now, does is the tin... Woodman, a steampunk costume? Well, I think his head would be. He needs, a, <laughs> he needs to put on a corset. Oh, well, whatever. And, and dance and around. goggles. Yeah, he can be in the new, uh, never, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop. Sometimes it's wise if I do that. Okay, so other parts of the conference is the schmoozing. Now, I've got to tell you a story. This is a personal story. I went to a conference down at Asilomar, the, you know, the state conference center down in Pacific Grove. Quite a while ago, first before I joined Redwood Writers, and uh, that's back in the early 80s, sat down at a table of 10 other writers and people around the table said, what do you write? And I said, well, I'm a program specialist for the YWCA and I've written, you know, lots of manuals for them and I listed some of my titles and I had about 15 at that time and they said, well, you're a writer. I said, what? No, I'm a program specialist. No, no, you are a writer. You have 15 books and manuals that you've got out there. I said, so I came home from that weekend and the very next week I ordered new business cards with writer after my name as well. So you never know. Things can happen. It's an important, it's the, I think, the most important part of the conference is the meeting, greeting, talking, sharing that goes on during the breakfast and lunch times and, you know, just in the interstitials, as we call it. You could be at lunch and be sitting near an agent mm-hmm. and be able to start a conversation with them and mention your book. Right. And you do get breakfast and lunch with the conference That's, as well. That's uh, part of included. it. Included. Right. Yes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone knows, I assume, where the flamingo is because you can't miss the flamingo on the top of the big tall pole. Well, I don't think so, and and it's well one really one of uh, Santa Rosa's uh, land, landmarks. Uh, it's an arch- well known architectural gem. Somebody yeah. heard it once called. Yeah. It's hard. To, yeah, I yeah. think what they referred to as carnelian or something is the gem, maybe. But whatever, it's it's certainly unique, and it's mm-hmm. there, and it's been the the center for lots many of your your monthly meetings. As well, well, it's where all of our monthly meetings are held. Right, and it's uh, uh, yes, it's definitely Redwood Writers Central. And I should mention, too, the Redwood Writers is the largest uh, uh, writer's club in mm-hmm. the state of California under the California Writers Club uh, emblem. Right. There are a number of clubs, but we have uh, 28, is it now? The, uh, we I have 300 so. members. Right. 340 Over 300. Right. Yeah. And uh, our slogan is Writers Helping Writers. So what you're saying, Gil, really fits into what our conferences are about, which is to bring writers together so they can share their ideas, share their thoughts, share their struggles. Um, it's enough to, to write for oneself as a writer. One usually just does write for oneself, uh, uh, whether that's intentional or not. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's but what that's where it all so, begins. It all right. begins right. with a writer deciding and uh, how they want to write and, and, and what they want to write. 
Well, Fran, we're going to come back after the break and listen to a few of your poems that you'd like to share with us. I'm interested to see which ones you've picked. You are listening to April's Word by Word, Conversations with Writers Show on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are from the upcoming Redwood Writers Conference entitled From Pen to Published, which will be held at the Santa Rosa Flamingo Hotel on Saturday, April 23rd. The conference co-chairs, William Hagwood and Robbie Summers Bryant, are here today, along with one of the writer presenters at the conference, Fran Claggett. So, pen to publish. Before we go to Fran, where, what is this? Where did this word, this title, come from? Yes. Me. Okay. <laughs> I made it up. You made it up. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because that's essentially what 
the conference is all about. So only people who write with a pen are welcome to come. Is that right? That's what we do, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The conference is open to everybody who's interested in writing. Mm -hmm. And um, you can find out more about it at redwoodwriters.org. There's all kinds of conference. In fact, I just pulled that up and I'm looking at it as we speak. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk with Fran. You're going to leave Sarah some poems with us. And then we're going to come back to Robbie, and you're going to share a few things from your book if you'd like as well. Because what I want people to get is a feeling of the variety of the styles of the different people who are involved in this conference. So, Fran? Okay. Thank you. I'll read a couple of poems from Crow Crossings, which is my second book of poetry. The first was called uh, Blackbirds and Other Other Birds. It got its name because as my partner and I were driving cross-country many, many years ago and we saw lots of birds, uh, my friend Madge knew very little about birds, so she could identify two kinds, blackbirds and other birds. (laughs) That became the title of the book because I am drawn to birds and I write a lot about, about them, especially crows and ravens. But I'm going to read a poem first about um, every every poet has at least one mother poem in them. Mm. I've got a, I wrote first a poem for my father. <clears throat> my mother kept saying, where's my poem? Where's my poem? <laughs> she eventually got one. This one I wrote after her death. It's called Moving into Language. We walk on the bones of our mother, shape earth's silence into elegy. Mourn the lost words that lie with her, searching for our own lost song. Ah. So essentially what you're saying, or what I hear there in that poem, is that you, there are things you wish you could have asked her before you can't ask her those things. Right. It would yeah. be advisable to write that memoir early when you have a chance to find out right. some of the, There's another one that kind of touches on that subject. Mm-hmm. Um, Marianne Moore, who was one of the great writers of our country, wrote, What Are Years? So my title is, What Are Years? asks Marianne Moore. Our lives are punctuated by anniversaries. Today, my mother's birthday, 106. Next week, my father's, 118. All those years, and here I am, unable to comprehend the avalanche of years, still a child, impervious to time. Part two, they say aging is different today, that old age has aged, that 70 today is what 60 was yesterday or 50. The years don't add up the way they did, so why, looking into the mirror early in the morning, do I see my mother's face, Hmm. pull up the skin by my eyes to watch the wrinkles around the mouth disappear? Smooth out the way they did, the way she did. See, she would say, this is the way I used to look. And now you say uh, it, right? And now we say it. And now we say, right. Here's another very short one. This is the father poem. I don't write all family poems, but these just happen to be here. Old man. Old man, bird weight. I could hold you in the palm of my hand, feed you honey water with an eyedropper, and put you into a nest of old newspapers by the door, hoping in the morning to find you gone. Hoping in the morning to find you gone. In which sense? Yes. Mm. Can I read one more? Please. Okay. 
This is um, <clears throat> in response to um, Dylan Thomas' poem. One of the things in my when I teach poetry, I, I use a lot of modeling. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, this will be modeled after Dylan Thomas, if one could do that. It's called In My Craft. He wrote a poem called In My Craft and Sullen Art. So this is called In My Craft. I am not driven as Dylan was to dye the green long days and sing them into poetry. I do not know how he saw those eyes, morning into afternoon, rising beyond the pale into words. Or how, singing rage, he cast his grief into the arms of all the grieving lovers, old in dream and young enough to weep into the waking of their years. I do not know how Dylan lived his sullen art, nor do I know how, silent and unannounced, my quiet poems appear, pale against those spewing words that sing once sung inside my blood. I know your music, Welshman, carry the coals of those dark minds in my hands, and yet I do not rage. I listen to the morning in my craft and quiet art. So are you going to give prompts to your people in your in your workshop? Well, this isn't a poetry workshop. Oh, uh, no, I know, but it's a memoir workshop. <laughs> it's a memoir workshop, and yes, they will have something to write to while they're there. All right, so that's one of the things that people should expect when right. they, when they go fact, to the In fact, I have conference. a poem in my book that I wrote in Andrew McTeague's last workshop, ah. and I think that's always, uh, you know, enervating. Yeah, certainly it is, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for okay. letting me read my poem. So we want to hear some other words of thoughtful prose. <laughs> so we're going to turn to Robbie. Well, I'm going to give you a sample of two different genres. As an author, you can write in different genres, you don't have to be uh, stuck in one. If you're a romance writer, you can write something. You can write a mystery. So the first thing I'm going to read is from a book called Dream, and it's a uh, urban, what they call an urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's a fantasy that takes place in the city. Okay. And I just have to set this up where a woman is in a grocery store, and she's in line, and the person in front of her who's checking out his stuff has a pair of handcuffs on the back of his belt loop. The person in front of her has the handcuffs on the back of his belt loop. So we were either going to go to Fifty Shades of Gray or something entirely different. This was right? before Fifty oh, Shades okay. of Gray? I just wondered. <laughs> this is Two Shades of Gray. Okay, okay. so handcuffs, huh? The guy ahead of me in the checkout turns and appraises me. The handcuffs locked around his back belt loop clink against my grocery card. Hey, he says, offering a nod. You a cop, I ask? He smiles. Why the handcuffs? I have no trouble striking up conversations. Hmm, he says, unlocking them. Want to see a magic trick? Sure, I add a bit of flirt. He removes the handcuffs from the loop and in a second locks the handcuff around my wrist, then clicks the other half around his grocery card handle. Fifty-two sixty-five, the cashier says to him, but her eye is on me. He hands her cash while I wait for the handcuff trick. Clever way to meet people. Why hadn't I thought of that? The transaction is complete. 
but instead of the magic unlock, he quickly exits the store with his bag of groceries. Hey, I call after him. Hey, real funny. Ha ha. Hey, you, come back. What's that about? asked the cashier. Is he your boyfriend? I just met him seconds ago. I asked about the handcuffs, and this is what he did. I said, miffed. He'll come back, right? The checkout woman shrugs. Do I go after him? Drag the cart with me? I scan the parking lot from the line. He's nowhere. Can you call the manager, please? Michael to check out three, she says into a store telephone. Her voice on the loudspeaker reverberates around the store. What can the manager do? Nothing. Nevertheless, that's my first instinct. I need to call locksmith, then sit in Safeway for an hour, handcuffed to a grocery cart. I visualize, the, visualize this phone call to my husband. Hi, Joe. Um, I'll be home a little late. I am handcuffed to my shopping cart. And Joe would think, what's she gotten herself into this time? A tap on my shoulder corrals my attention. Is it him? I whirl around. Excuse me, a small gray-haired woman behind me offers a wrinkled smile. I'm supposed to give you this. She hands me the handcuff key along with a folded piece of paper. Who gave you this? Was it that guy in front of me? Honey, I can barely remember my name. I scan the store. He must have sneaked in. I unlock the cuffs and drop them in my purse. I stash the key in my wallet. That's a pretty cool t- pickup trip, said the cashier. Sixty forty. I hand her my debit card, and she does the transaction. I unfold the paper. Ain't magic grand? Phone me sometime when you're free. Andrew, 555-8465. Oh, the 555 number. Every time we hear that, we know it's fake. Okay, so you are going where? That was your, you're in a, um, a setting of the urban setting, you wanted to say. Uh, it takes place both in a city and it also takes place in a dream. This story is about two people that have the capability of going into a dream together. And while they're in the dream, the woman is kidnapped. And when he wakes up, she's gone. Okay. Are they dreaming side by side? or are They're they... in the same – they're side by side. Okay. And they go into the same dream together. Uh-huh. Yeah, it reminds me of a movie or two. So are you going to read from The Beautiful Evil as well? Yeah, I'll read a little bit. Sure. Thank you. A bell tinkled when the door opened. The stench of stale cigarettes draped the cramped room. Behind the counter sat an old woman, her face buried in a paperback. She inhaled deeply on a cigarette and exhaled a cloud of smoke. Her gray hair, tucked haphazardly into a makeshift bun, placed an unfortunate emphasis on her line-sketched face. She regarded me as if I wasn't there and then returned her attention back to her book. The gesture reminded me of the women at the brunch, self-absorbed, wrapped up in their pseudo-perfect lives, including me in the conversation simply because they must. And now, a haggard woman whose sole lot in life was to run a backstreet shop had given me an obligatory glance and turned away. According to Madeline, people fell into two groups, those with and those without. Those with are our group, and those without are better as hired help. The shopkeeper was useless and a blatant without. Excuse me, please. 
She deserved a curt tone. Without looking up, the woman sucked on her cigarette and flipped the page. The smoke curled above her in a dingy spiral. No wonder the walls were splotched with a tar yellow color. Tiny and chaotic, the store was disorganized hodgepodge. Tired clothes hung in haphazard bunches, overstuffed crates of shoes had hats filled the corners, shelves around the storehouse gaudy knickknacks, stacks of dishes, and toys. I cleared my throat. Excuse me, please. The vase in the window? The woman exhaled another cloud of smoke. Never mind. I'll get it myself. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we certainly know the characters there. They're well-defined, aren't they? Yes. They would work in any century almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and um, this is the the beautiful evil, and it's about a woman who buys a very expensive antique vase in a curio store, and it has a lock on it, and when she eventually unlocks it, it opens up her dark side or her, her... Inner demons. Inner demons. Okay. And it's kind of based on Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm. Gee whiz, I wonder what was in Pandora's box today. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But the main thing is hope. But you know, we may find out if we if we do a card reading using a certain tarot deck. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a segue. Bill, you want to you <laughs> pick this up? Now, Bill has been on our show before and talked about his... Uh, journeying to the 60s, a countercultural tarot. Correct. And it is uh, it's a labor of love that took many, many years. It started in the 1960s with photographs of events that were occurring in the counterculture time. Thousands of, that, of them. Thousands yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. And then what to do with them. And then your love of and discovery of the tarot. So mm-hmm. tell us some more. So uh, thank you, Gil. And uh, yes, what I did was I began looking through some of the – I was a photojournalist and and, and writer during the 60s and covered it pretty intently. The longest decade of the 20th century ended in 1978 with disco. That was it. (laughs) It was over. (laughs) It was the man carrying the cans of paint down the street that killed it. Night fever. Night fever. Saturday night fever. Yeah, so it was over. But – uh, not really. It, the, the spirit of that era has lasted a long time, and that's one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book. Uh, what I did was I got very interested in the tarot, 78 cards that, that uh, in, in a Western tradition deal symbolically with certain silos of human experience. And I began going through my photographs and finding that uh, a number of the photographs resembled tarot cards. And so I began putting together a tarot deck from the photographs that I made during the 60s. And after I completed this, I, I thought, you know, this really calls for some writing. I was trained as an historian and worked as a journalist for many, many years. So I began writing essays about each of the cards in relationship to aspects of the, of the 60s as they related to the characteristic experiences of, of the tarot. And uh, it, it's a, uh, it's, it has a 26-page bibliography. It has 400 citations. It's, it's work that is really grounded in, in history and, and in research. But it is a tarot, and it is a counterculture tarot. And since then, I've been able to produce a deck and uh, uh, even an app, uh, uh, Gil, if you can believe that. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I see you pulled up, because I failed to bring my book. Right. Uh, you have brought up But uh, this wonder something. wizardry Pandora's box that we carry around. <laughs> Indeed. So I'll read uh, a, a portion of, of the, um, the Fool, I'll, uh, the introduction to The Fool, which is the, uh, the first card in the tarot deck. And... Uh, uh, 
this is the beginning of the essay that, that uh, discusses The Fool, which uh, the subtitle of the essay is The Fool, A Counterculture Protagonist. Okay, now I did not pick this for you specifically because of the title. Do you understand? I do. I understand that. It happens that, to be Gil. the one that's on Amazon. But that was a great joke, and okay. you, had a, you had to take that advantage. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so let me begin. A fool steps into the frame, embodying the chaos from which everything emerges. The photograph is of a um, actually a, a demonstrator, an agitprop demonstrator at People's Parks demonstration in 1969 with his face painted so he cannot be recognized. Uh, he exists in 1969 on a street in Berkeley, masked in grease paint to conceal his identity, an everyman of protest ready to fight or flee. He gives whatever the moment asks, or skips through it and finds another. In 1969, there were so many outward-bound travelers whose journeys started from within. Where did they all come from, these travelers and their journeys? All those post-World War II babies, millions all at once, by 1960 had become a mass of young global foolishness. The oldest were still in their teens, prodded by their eagerness to find every available edge. A critical mass of innocence and openness harnessed itself to new media and new wealth perpetually triangulating its careless stroll from a selection of inner touch points. It was not everyone, it was not even most, but it was enough. Travel wasn't new. The new was travel without a destination, travel that aligned the open road with the imprisoned heart. In his novel On the Road, Jack Kerouac described his main character, Dean Moriarty, as all troubles, ecstasy, and speed. It was 1956. Moriarty, the fictional name of a real fool named Neil Cassidy, became an iconic representation of the eternal and, for the contented and conforming society of the American 50s, infernal vagabond. These were the beats, coined by Kerouac from beatific, a word that radiated out of his Catholic soul, wherein germinated the hybrid creation of wordy paeans to naivete, naivete and delight. Or maybe he used the generic reference of... Uh, of a Times Square drug dealer describing his customers. Whatever the truth, the existence of more than one is never a problem for the fool. The Beats celebrated visceral experience and traveled comfortably without a roadmap. Stimulated by strong coffee, cheap wine, drugstore benzedrine, and Mexican pot, they sought authenticities yet to be named. The names would accrue in the years to come and in a million wanderings, fools all over, on roads, in fields, seeking new experiences or each other, finding tricks and trips and unlikely connections or encounters that might transition or transcend. Staring at the stars, fools fell into holes that, like Alice's passage through the looking glass, led to deep, altering states. Mm -hmm. And so it goes. And so it goes. I'm wondering if you should have your camera out for this conference and go around and get some new tarot deck uh, photographs. Because you're going to have an assembly of people with... Can I interrupt? Yes. I just want to say that this is one of the most incredible books that I have ever gotten and read. I taught during that era, the 60s, mm -hmm. and I recently gave a talk at Sonoma State to a group of 250 sophomores who were studying the 60s. And That's I told, ancient history to them, isn't it? It is. It yes. is ancient history to them. And I, my talk was called Subverting the System from Within, you know, <laughs> right. teaching within the system. Right. Uh, but... 
without. And I just say Bill's book is just, I told this whole group of 250 kids and their teachers, their teachers should have just given each one of the kids one of those books that would have been all they needed for the course. But it is a really, of course, I love the tarot too, but it's just a stupendous book. And the writing, as you heard, is just magnificent. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Very nice. You do write all that down. We're gonna we're gonna put this on uh, so you can link to it. Okay. And, I also have a poem called "The Fool," which I should send you. I'd oh. love to see that. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So, um, your newest book, um, you're you're doing a. Uh, you said you're working a collection now, right? Yes, I'm actually working on two small collections. They'll okay. both be uh, chapbooks. One of them is Small Memoirs, and it's called Moments with Madge. Moments with Madge. And um, that's exactly what it is since Mm -hmm. her death, all those little moments that suddenly hit you and write them down Mm. and help you survive. And the other one is a group of Tonka that I'm working on. The five stanza. The five sentence, five lines. Five lines. I'm working with a woman in Montreal (coughs) who is a Tonka expert, and she's just wonderful. I have an online writing group that is both Canada and the United States, and it's a wonderful group, and she is is the Tonka person, so she's been extremely helpful. It's much more complex than you would think just to write five lines, but it's great fun, and that's my second book in progress. Great. Great. We'll look forward to those. So as you can see, just from the, the small group of people who are in this room, there's quite a diversity of experience, uh, knowledge base, uh, links to other countries to tap into for whatever you're writing. So how can someone (laughs) – this is a setup, isn't it? (laughs) How can someone possibly get a chance to go to one of this conference? Well, that's really simple, isn't it, Robbie? They they can just go on to the website, uh, <laughs> and redwoodwriters.org. Which, which uh, okay, redwoodwriters.org. And uh, f- there is a tr- there are, uh, there's a web page that's devoted to just the, click on the, the conference. Right. Click on it, and all the instructions are there, aren't they, Robbie? Yes, registration is online, and if you do have a first page that you want edited, we have a way that you can send that online to me, and. Um, that's the only way we're accepting res, uh, registration except for walk-ons the day of the conference. We will be able to take a few walk-ins. Uh, but I recommend getting your ticket in advance because it's going to be just a great, great conference. Especially if you want to sign up for the, the specific workshops that are offered. Yes, exactly. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, moving right along, is there anything else you want to share with us the, about your personal, where you're going? Bill, you got another book in the process you're thinking uh, about? Yes, I, uh, I've written uh, – I've gotten myself into fiction, and I've written four novels, and I've just released the first. I, I, I have them under the umbrella of stories of the post-counterculture. My novels are focused on characters who lived after the counterculture and were heavily influenced by by the counterculture and the experiences they have, and my new – novel uh, is entitled uh, A Time of Unsearchable Things. It's a quote from um, the book of Job, and the story has a kind of secular interpretation of the Job story that fits into a, a background of uh, Humboldt County in the in the early 1970s. Hmm, uh, I wonder desti- why you wrote about that. Well, yes. I lived there at the time. Yes. It was a destination for a lot of uh, counterculture people who were, during the 1968-1969 city, uh, city riots and demonstrations, deciding to go back to the land back to the country. And uh, I was one of them. 
and, right. and moved up into that area uh, to spend that, spend time there. And it was. It was a tremendously um, invigorating experience and a wonderful time uh, to be a member of the counterculture. And Robbie, do you have a project in the works? Right now, besides my editing business, that takes a lot of my time, but I am working on a novel. It's from the point of view of a serial killer. Uh, with an S. No, cereal. Oh, yes, cereal with an S. I thought putting it, not like Cheerios. Yes, all right. It's a serial killer. It's important killer. because, it's, you know, it's only sound, so we have to make sure people understand. And that's called the death of Psyche. A psyche as in the, the, death of the, psyche, the Greek yes. psyche? The Greek and the interpretation, which means the soul. Oh, okay. And, and Fran, we've already heard about your two works in progress. So I'm sorry. We've already heard about your two works in you progress. Have. Yes, thank you. Well, I want to thank all of you for coming. I think it should be a wonderful conference for people to go. And no matter what level of writer, even if they're just as we call them a wannabe, they're thinking about it. So it's open for students to people in their centenarian years, hundreds and plus, right? Hundreds and plus. Mm -hmm. And again, go to the website redwoodwriters.org. And that's where you can get information. On the front page, it'll have a link that'll take you right to the conference page. Great. You have been listening to Word by Word, Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are from the upcoming Redwood Writers Conference entitled From Pen to Published, which will be held at the Santa Rosa Flamingo Hotel on Saturday, April 23rd. You can find information at redwoodwriters.org. We had a chance to chat with conference co-chairs Bill Hagwood and Robbie Summers Bryant. Bill talked a bit about the conference in his book, The Countercultural Tarot, A Photo Journey Through the 60s. Robbie shared information about her presentation, Your First Page, and her award-winning books, Dream and the Beautiful Evil. Conference presenter Fran Claggett offered insights into her workshop, Lifelines, a memoir writing workshop, and her book, upcoming book, Moments with Mads, Then and Now. Our studio engineer for today's Word by Word is Jesse Van Cushen. Our KRCB-FM program manager is Sean Knight. Our radio assistant is Wendy Nicholson. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to tune into KRCB-FM from 4 to 5 on Sunday afternoon, May 8th, when our guest will be the Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist and best-selling novelist, nonfiction writer, and children's book author Anna Quinlan sharing from her new novel, Miller's Valley. Until then, here's a thought from Anna Quinlan. I read and walk for miles at night along the beach, writing bad blank verse and searching endlessly for someone wonderful who would step out of the darkness and change my life. It never crossed my mind that that person could be me.
Talk